Well, good morning. How are you guys this morning? Good deal. I want to say welcome to all of you and all of our campuses. Uh, my name's Gray, and I'm one of the pastors here. And we are in the last week of our series, uh, Rebel with a Cause. And, and again, if you've missed a week, we would really encourage you to go back on the app or uh, the website and, and catch up. But we've been in this conversation about these commandments that Jesus gave us in the first century, gave his disciples. And they're very particular commandments because they all are do not commandments. And uh, we said that these do not commandments that Jesus gave us seem really impossible, seem really impractical, and, and even irrational. And, uh, and the thing we came back and looked at was that these do not commandments, if we would do them, they would lead to a, a better life because they would make us better at life. And so just kind of give you some background where we've been. Last week we said this one, uh, or Jesus actually said it. He said, do not sin. And we're like, man, that seems so impossible. Like, what, how do I live a life without sin? Even the, the reference I made last week is like some of you had to sin just to get your kids in the car to get them to church, right? By, by the things that you, yeah. And so how do, you, how do you live out this do not sin? And we said the reason Jesus urges this and the reason Jesus commanded that was because he knew that sin came prepackaged with a penalty. And, and ultimately that penalty was death, that sin destroys everything. So this commandment was, was one of protection, not a restriction. The week before, Paul told us, uh, or we talked about, Paul talked us through, do not worry. And it was like, man, worry is just something we don't really plan to do. It just happens to us. And, but what we came to the conclusion is worry doesn't work. And the reason Jesus urges us to not worry is because he knows that we can depend on God today, for today and let worry handle itself tomorrow. The reality is, you know, as impractical, as impossible, even irrational as things like do not sin and do not worry, as, as impossible as those seem, your life and my life would be better if we worried less, right? Our, our lives would be better, I mean, and listen now, our lives would be better if we sinned less, right? Definitely, there'd be less consequences. And so this morning, as we continue and wrap up this series, the do not command is, is just as important and has the same amount of significance as, as do not worry and do not sin. And it's simply this, is, is do not doubt. Now, when Jesus talks about doubt in the first century, he usually does it in one of two ways. Number one, he does it as a question. He asks this question to Peter, and we'll look at it later. He said, why did you doubt? Or he does it as a, a statement qualifying something like this one. He says, if you have faith and, and do not doubt. So if you have faith and, and if you don't doubt. But the implication is in the question and in the statement, the implication is that doubt's not helpful for us. Like doubt is something we don't want to do. But the, the reality is, is, is doubt is not something we plan to do. Right? We, 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 don't, we don't plan a date with doubt. We don't plan to second-guess things. In fact, um, for all our Florida, camp, Florida campuses, how many of you are Florida State fans? Yeah, yeah. Here, here's what I know about you. You're already doubting this football season. Right? All right? So I, <laughs> and, and you didn't plan that. You don't even want to. And, and, and our Fairhope campus, you Auburn fans, you're doubting. You know, it's like, oh, we got to play Alabama again. we got to play Mississippi State again, right? You, you, nobody has to tell you to do that. You just, you just doubt that. You're just already looking forward to basketball season. And, and so we don't, we don't plan doubt in our life, but, but, but doubt just happens. And oftentimes when it happens in our faith, it, the, the circumstances aren't great. Like there's something going on. There's a, there's a lack of peace. There's suspicion. There's a question. And so when Jesus says, do not doubt, there's this temptation to be a rebel and go, I don't even know how to do that, Jesus. I'm just going to push against that. But the, the, the good news is that you're not the first person to doubt when it comes to your faith. 
And I'm not the first person to doubt when it comes to my faith, and we won't be the last. In fact, 100%, 100% of Jesus' first century followers doubted. Like, that's good news. I mean, think about John the Baptist. If you don't know who John the Baptist was, John the Baptist was the guy that kind of set the stage for Jesus, and he was Jesus' cousin. And so he's, he's telling everybody that Jesus is the one to follow. In fact, there's this, there's this one point when John the Baptist is teaching, and he's got all of his followers, and he sees Jesus walking by, and John stops what he's doing. He says, hey, that's the one. Like, that's the one we need to follow. That's the Lamb of God. And then later on in John the Baptist's life, he really makes the wrong people mad, ends up in prison, later on gets beheaded. But while he's in prison, he starts doubting. In fact, he calls his buddies over and he says, send word to Jesus. And this is what he says. He says, send word to Jesus. Are you the one? So literally, John the Baptist goes, oh, he's the one. He's the one to, are you sure, Jesus? Like, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Because he's, he's in jail. And like, this is Jesus' cousin. This is the guy that, that God sent to prepare the way for Jesus. And he's in jail. Some bad circumstances happen. And he's all of a sudden doubting if Jesus is the one. Literally, he goes from that's the one to are you the one? Or what about Peter? Peter's one that, that a lot of us know. And depending on where you pick up in Peter's story, he's either infamous or famous. And, and in this particular account, he's both. But the disciples are in a boat. And there's a storm, and Jesus comes walking out on water. They're, they're flipping out because they think it's a ghost. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. It, it, it's me. And so Peter, in this moment of crazy audacity, he says, hey, Jesus, if it's you, tell me to walk out on the water. And, and, and Jesus says, well, come on. And Peter walks out on the water. You probably know the story. And then what happens? He begins to sink. This is how Matthew records it. He says, but when he saw, he being Peter, saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me, which is a great prayer. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said. And then here's our question. Why did you doubt? So Peter has this amazing moment of walking on water, takes his eyes off of Jesus, begins to sink. Jesus rescues him, but he still asks this question. He says, he says, why do you doubt? And do you know what happened with Peter after this? Jesus kicked him out. No. Jesus goes on to place full responsibility of the, 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 the Christianity, of Christianity on Peter's shoulders. Like he's the one that takes the church to the next level. And, and, and so we, we find that, that even though Peter doubted in this moment that Jesus still used him, Jesus, Jesus didn't kick him out. In fact, we say this, you can be a follower, you can be a follower of Jesus and have doubts at the same time. One of the, the, the phrases that our senior pastor Paul tells me often about different things in ministry, he says, it's attention to manage. And it's like the, the list of tensions to manage keep growing in my life. And like everything's attention to manage. And, and that, that's what doubt and faith is. It's like, it's like you can be a follower of Jesus and have these doubts, but at the same time, you're trying to move forward in your faith. Again, 100% of Jesus' first century followers doubted. And so if you've ever had any kind of doubt in your faith, you are in great company and Jesus doesn't kick you out when you have moments of doubt in your faith. But here's the deal. When we talk about doubt and we talk about faith, that is a grand, big topic. And I want to take a moment and like narrow the focus for a little bit when it comes to doubt. And then at the end, I want to take a 
you know, a panoramic view again. Because when it comes to doubt and faith, there is one thing that, that will absolutely derail us in our faith, and it's unanswered prayer. That when, when we have unanswered prayer, when we're praying for God to do something, and you've probably got a story, or if you don't have a story, you know somebody in your family that has a story, and, and they pray, they prayed for healing. You know, God, heal my spouse. Make this cancer go away. God, I know you can do it. And, and, it, and it never happened. Or God, save my, save my parents' marriage. God, I, I don't want them to get a divorce. God, do something. And yet they still get a divorce. And when we land ourselves in this place of unanswered prayer and we're calling out to God and we're asking God, man, that is where doubt begins to set in and it will derail our faith because what ends up happening, doubt begins to whisper two questions to us. Number one, is it worth it? Is Christianity worth it? Like I'm, I'm sacrificing, I'm giving up, I'm doing things to follow Jesus. And, and if he's not gonna deliver for me, then is this even, is it even worth it? And then the next question is even deeper is, is it true? true so so maybe maybe it's not worth it but but is it is it is it true like have i been hoodwinked you know is this is this something that just you know somebody made up and i'm following and it just makes me feel better to think there's something out there like is christianity is 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 it even true and then to kind of narrow that question think about it this way with your unanswered prayers can god not answer your prayer or, or, or does God even want to answer your prayer? You could say it this way. Maybe, maybe God is just not all-powerful and all-loving. Maybe he's one or the other. Maybe God is all-powerful and could absolutely answer your prayer. But he's just not all-loving. He, he's just a jerk. He doesn't care. Like he's got, he's got the resources. He can do what he wants to do, but he, he just doesn't want to. Is it, is it true? Maybe he's not all-powerful and all-loving, or, or maybe he's all-loving. Maybe God in heaven is like this, this grandfather that just wants to love you and, 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 and give gifts to you, but, but he's broke. Yeah. He, he doesn't have any power. He doesn't have any resources, and so he's all-loving, and he wants to help you, and his heart breaks for you, and he just can't deliver because he's all-loving and not all-powerful. See, th these are questions that can absolutely wreck our faith and doubt begins to set in particularly with unanswered prayer and begins to whisper is it worth it like why are you even here on a sunday morning giving up your time or why are you serving or why are you generous and even deeper is it true and so this morning i want to help unpack maybe even answer the question how how do we keep doubt from derailing our faith like how do we manage that tension because doubts are going to come up it's going to happen but how do we keep that from wrecking our faith from derailing our faith from causing us to walk out on god well jesus addresses this and uh and, and, and it's a passage it's one of these passages he ends up telling a parable that that it's not one you want to share uh you, you almost think jesus maybe you know, maybe he had a little something to drink and he didn't know what he was really talking about. He's like, hey, you sure you want to go down this road? But he, he, he talks about this, the, this idea of unanswered prayer and how we manage that doubt in that moment. And he does in Luke chapter 11. He tells, uh, well, he starts out before he gets to this, he, the disciples ask an incredible question. They say, Jesus, how, how do we pray? 
give you a little context before we go there. He says, how, how, do, you, how, how do we pray? And, and Jesus goes on to give them the Lord's Prayer, okay? If you don't know that, it's the one that, that every um, athletic coach says before every game because it has everything to do with what's about to happen, right? That's sarcasm, all right? It, it's our Father, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. And, and so Jesus gives them this prayer. Now, he gives them this prayer not to say every time you pray, pray these exact words and then do it so many times. He gives them, like, here's what your prayer needs to contain. So you don't have to, like, do this all the time. This isn't the only way to pray, but, but he, he, here's, a good, here's a good place to start. And so he gives them the Lord's Prayer, and then he goes into this parable. And a parable is just a story, a fictional story to, to drive home the point. And, and this, is, this is the story he tells. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight. Now, just to, how, many of you have, how many of you have the friend that goes to you at midnight? You got, you know, some of those people in your life, it gets better. How, suppose you have a friend and you, and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. So maybe it's the end of the month. You guys, you live on the way to Disney. Maybe people uh, drop in when they're headed to Disney World unexpected. We live on the way to the beach, and so everybody thinks that when they're on their beach vacation that we're on our beach vacation, and, and so, you know, we can just hang out. And uh, so people just kind of, you know, you can drop in unexpectedly. He said, so you, you, you've had someone drop in, and, and you need some bread. You want to make some sandwiches. And so you go to your friend at midnight because it's the first century, and Bucky's doesn't exist, and so you've got to figure out something to do. And so he says, you go to him and, uh, and uh, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. Uh, a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And here's the response. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. Yeah. See, how, how many of you know this person? Right. And if you're not shaking your head, that's you. Like they... they <laughs> They always, they, they always need you to help them, but when you need them to help you, they're like, oh, man, look at the time. I've got this to do. I've got that to do. And then, you know, the next week they're asking you to move their six-story house. And so he says, and suppose this one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. Now, again, a little first century context. So when people would sleep, number one, they'd sleep with the windows open so they could get a breeze. Number two, they, there, there weren't bedrooms. Everybody would sleep together, usually on the ground. And so to get up in the middle of the night is, is to possibly step on a child, is to wake someone up. And immediately I think about uh, any of you that are, that are new moms or, or you've got little ones at home. And when you work so hard to get your little one down for a nap, and then like UPS or FedEx shows up and rings the doorbell or knocks on the door, then the dog starts barking, then the baby wakes up or, you know, like, like th those moments, like this is what this guy doesn't want to create, these moments where you wake everybody up in the middle of the night. And so he says, don't bother me. Now, here's the other thing that's happening. If you're one of Jesus' disciples, you're going, wait a minute. Jesus has told parables before. And in every parable Jesus tells, somebody is us and somebody is God. So they're doing the math on this thing. So God clearly doesn't need, you know, bread. He's good on that. He doesn't need anything. So that means God is the one that says, don't bother me. And again, this is where the disciples are going, hey, like, Jesus, over here, like, run this by us. You know, I don't think this is going to land like, like, you, like you want it to, right? And, and, and so he, he continues. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, 
Yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Now, we need to unpack this for a little bit. No, wait, let me read it again. Even though he will not give you the bread because of friendship, because you're good friends, he's not going to give it to you. But because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. And before we go any further, we have to unpack this word need. It didn't say he got what he wanted. He said he got what he needed. See, Jesus isn't pushing some name it and claim it kind of prayer life. In fact, every time Jesus tells us to ask, seek, knock, and it will be given unto you, every time he makes those statements, he's making it assuming that we're asking according to our Father's will, right? And so, so you can stop praying for the Lamborghini with your shameless audacity. It's not going to show up in the garage. And Jesus is like, man, just because you wouldn't quit. Bam. Like, that's not what Jesus is getting at. But the point of the parable is not even that he got what he needed. The point of the parable is, is that he had this shameless audacity that apparently the guy didn't go home when, the, when the, the guy in the home said, don't bother me, that he kept knocking and he kept asking, I know you can hear me. You know I'm out here. I'm not leaving. I need some sandwiches. I need you to open the door. I know you got bread in there. In one word, persistence. Jesus says, because of your persistence in your prayer life, you will get what you need. And, and here's the deal with persistence. What Jesus is getting at is, is if you allow doubt to set in, if you're the guy knocking on the door and then the voice from inside says, don't bother me, you go, oh, man, I thought we were friends. Like, what are you doing? And you allow doubt to send you back to your house. You allow doubt to take you out. Then, then you miss what God's going to do. But he says, if you stay there and knock with shameless audacity, and you keep asking with shameless audacity, and you stay in communication with me, you stay in relationship with me, you don't walk away, you will get, not what you want, but you will get what you need. But if we allow doubt to set in and begin to whisper, is it, is it worth it? Is it true? Then we'll bail out before we see what God was going to, to do for us. In fact, we, we can say it this way, is that you will never know what God would have done for you, in you, and through you if you allow doubt to derail you. And here's the thing about this. Anytime God does something for you, it's been my experience that he's also doing something in me. And anytime God is doing something in me, he's also working it out and it's impacting other people. So God is doing something through me. So if we walk out on God because we feel like our prayers are hitting the ceiling, because we feel like he's silent, because we feel like he's absent, we, we will never know what God was up to. We will never know what he's working inside of you, what he's trying to provide for you, what he's trying to do through you, which means that other people will miss what God's trying to do for them if you check out. Like there's no way to, to, to fully understand what hangs in the balance when we're knocking on God's door and we're asking and we're seeking and we allow doubt to set in and we walk away before God does the thing that he's going to do that only he can do for you, in you, and through you. So Jesus would say, keep asking. Unanswered prayer, keep seeking. You need something, 
keep knocking. And because of your persistence, you'll get what you need. Because of your shameless audacity, because you maintain relationship, because you maintain communication, you'll find what you need. Now, here's what I know. For some of you, that is an oversimplification of your current scenario in life. And probably borderline offensive. You're going to reduce my situation to, I just need to keep asking. I, I, just, keep, I just got to keep knocking. I just got to be persistent. Like that, you're going to reduce my unanswered prayers and, and the, the significance of those prayers and what I'm asking for, the healing I'm asking for, the repair in the relationship I'm asking for. You're, you're going to reduce that to, I just need to keep asking. I just need to keep knocking and I'll just be persistent and I may not get what I want, but I'll get what I need. And I would say that I, I feel you on that. I didn't say even right now in my life, there's a couple of things that like, like I'm about ready to kick the door down to get an answer. But I want to leave you or give you rather a question in response to that tension. And it's actually a question that Peter asked Jesus. Let me give you some context. Jesus has just done this incredible miracle. He's fed 5,000 people, and that's just men. That's not including women and children. So thousands of people have just been fed basically with some fish and chips. And, and then Jesus, being the great teacher that he is, he sees a moment uh, to, to leverage. And he, and he sees all these, these thousands of hungry people that have just been fed. And he, and he starts in teaching. And he says, hey, guys, you know how you were hungry, and I gave you bread that's satisfied. He said, basically, all of you have this spiritual hunger inside of you, and I am the bread of life. And then Jesus, figuratively speaking, says, if you will eat of my body and drink of my blood, then you will be satisfied. So you had all of these people who were all bought in, and, and they see Jesus, you know, multiply the bread and multiply the fish. Like, man, this is amazing. Then he starts talking about being the bread of life. And then he starts talking about eating flesh and drinking blood. And the scriptures say that people at that moment bolted. I mean, there were people like, you had me at the fish and chips, and you lost me when we started eating people, right? <laughs> like, th this was cool on this side, but now I, I, I don't know, ma'am. And what the scriptures say is that people, like crowds of people were leaving Crowds of people are leaving. So you've got the disciples, again, that find themselves in yet another moment going, did we make the right choice? Like, I, I'm, I'm, I was cool with the fish and, fish and chips too, but the, this other man, I, I, I don't know if I signed up for, you know, all this. And Jesus was speaking figuratively, not literally, but it was still, the, the imagery was too much. And so Jesus turns around and asks Peter this question. You do not want to leave too, do you? Or he asked the disciples. So there's, there's thousands of people walking away from Jesus. And, and for sure, some of their friends, and for sure, some of their family members. And so the disciples are sitting there going, man, I wonder if I could slip in with that crowd and Jesus and never know. Like, I, I, I don't know if this is the thing I want to do. You can imagine the doubt. And then Jesus basically draws a line in the sand. He says, you guys want to leave too? There's the door. 
And then Peter, in one of his famous moments, not infamous moments, returns Jesus' question with another question. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Peter says, Jesus, where else are we going to go? I mean, we, we've seen what you've done. We believe who you are. Sure, we, we, we have doubts. And they'll doubt even after this scenario. I mean, especially Peter. But where else are we going to go? See, if we come to the place and we go, man, if, if I'm not going to take my, my, my prayers to Jesus, if I'm not going to take my situations to Jesus, where are you going to take them? Like, who are you going to take them to? What are you going to take them to? Essentially, Peter is saying this, if, if not Jesus, then, then who? If not you, Jesus, then, then who are we going to follow? Who's going to deliver for us? Who, who, who is going to be our Savior? If not Jesus, then who? And so when you find yourself in this place of unanswered prayer and you feel like everything's hitting the ceiling and he is absent and he is silent, number one, he is not. But the other question I want to ask you is, if you don't take it to Jesus, who else has even offered to carry that kind of burden? The answer is no one. And I love Jesus' response. Have I not chosen you, the 12? And what Jesus is getting at with this question is, you're right, Peter. I chose you. This was my idea. I brought you into this thing. I carried you to this point. And if I've brought you to this point, I will, I will carry you to the end. I've chosen you. This was my idea. And Jesus would say the same to us. He's like, I've chosen you. You're mine. If you're not going to follow me, if you're not going to trust me with it, who are you going to trust with it? And I think about those disciples in that moment. They had no idea what was hanging in the balance. They had no idea what Jesus was going to do with them. Peter had no idea the impact that his life and his faith was going to have on the church, so much so that we're still here today. Peter, James, and John, all of the disciples, all of those first century um, followers who had their moments of doubt, but in spite of their doubts, they kept knocking, they kept following, they kept going, they kept asking, they kept seeking and God literally used them to change the world. And they had no idea what was hanging in the balance. Again, you will never know what God would have done for you, in you, and through you if you allow your doubt to derail you. And so with your unanswered prayers, we come back to this same statement. Stay connected. Keep asking. Be persistent. Because you will never know what God is going to do for you, in you, and through you. 
But as we narrow the focus for unanswered prayer as a source of doubt, if, if, we, if we scan back out and take a panoramic view of our faith, I mean, there, there, are, there are ample opportunities for doubt to whisper, is it worth it? Is it true? I mean, think about in your finances. For once, you're trying to be generous. For once, you're trying to, 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 to get out of debt, to try to do things God's way. And you keep, you know, the car keeps breaking. Things keep happening. You're like, how am I ever going to do this? And the temptation is go, is it worth it? Is it, is it even true? And to that, I would say you will never know what God would have done for you, in you, and through you if you allow your doubt to derail you when it comes to trying to do your finances the way God has called you to. Maybe you're single, and this is so big. You're single, and you are trying to live a life of purity in a culture that does not value purity. And doubt says, is it worth it? What are you fighting for? Is it even true? Lower your standard. It's only one time. It's only one person. Lower your standard. And I would tell you, you will never know what God was going to do for you, in you, and through you if you allow your doubt to derail you from your path of purity and doing the single life God's way. That's your marriage. trying to make things right, trying to work it out, trying to recoup. You keep hitting roadblocks. It'd be easier to walk away. I'm trying, to, I'm, I'm trying to do this thing. I'm trying to find a point of reconciliation. I'm trying to make it work. I'm trying to make it work for the kids. I'm trying to make it work for everybody. But it's just so stinking hard. And I would tell you, you will never know if you allow doubt to whisper, is it worth it? Is it true? You will never know what God could have done for you in that marriage, in you as an individual, and through you, how your fighting for that would impact someone else's life. We never know what hangs in the balance when it comes to our doubt. You will never know what God can do for you, in you, and through you if you allow your doubt to derail you. And there are a thousand and one other reasons to have doubt in your faith. And this statement is still true. And when doubt whispers, is it worth it? Is it true? We can ask doubt back the question that Peter asked. If not Jesus, if not this faith, then, then, then what? Then who? If not Jesus, then who? Let me pray for you. Father, doubt is not something we plan for. And for many people, it's been the thing that has kept them from a deeper faith in you. Maybe even caused them to walk away for a season. Or in the process of walking away, making that decision this morning. 
And God, I thank you that you are big enough and strong enough to, to manage our doubts and to empower us to do the same, to manage the tension of doubt and faith. Father, I pray for those on all of our campuses that you would give them the courage to continue to be persistent, to continue to do the the hard thing that they're trying to do in their faith, to push past the whispers of is it worth it and is it true, is it true? And they would come out on the other side with a deeper faith, a stronger faith, and a testimony of what you did, not only for them, but in them and through them. Father, we thank you for loving us even in the midst of our doubts. And we pray these things in your perfect son's name. Amen. Hey guys, thank you for being with us this morning. It is, July is over, which means August, and it's still just as hot, all right? So we got some ice cream for you on the way out. So you guys have a great weekend.